Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Then, with the announcement of big hitting new owners for the 2025 Auckland A-League franchise, the incumbent has picked exactly the right moment to flex their muscle with an unbeaten start to the new A-League men's season under rookie coach Giancarlo Italiano. But to underestimate the man known as Chiefy would be to miss the very reason why they're now top of the A-League men's competition. While he never had a professional football career, he's a self-described football obsessive, a 44-year-old Australian former law student and football analyst with an Italian Peruvian heritage. It's a great story and even better that it's come at a club who've been an outlier in the comp for so long. The man who is across every nuance of football in the land of the long white cloud is our mate from Sky Sports New Zealand, Jason Pine. So we'll get his thoughts on how the Knicks have managed to silence the doubters and what we can expect from the new Auckland franchise in the A-League men's and women's competition. Now then, they've been building a resume and sneaking up in the English Premier League ladder in a way no one would ever suggest was Liverpool style. But with Spurs stealing the early season headlines, Man City always there, the Gunners backing up last season with a proper start and the likes of Villa, among others, making noise. Jurgen Klopp has been reshaping a generational squad and has the Reds quite rightly in the conversation for the title race. We'll talk to James Pearce about what the talk around Anfield is like and if he thinks they are a serious chance of going all the way. Edge, I loved the weekend of football. It was absolutely fantastic, apart from one obvious score on Saturday afternoon in our time with the Matildas. Uh, but, um, but there was a lot of good football to watch. Yeah, hi, Rob. Uh, hello to listeners all around Australia and those in other parts of the world. Hello, hello to Derek uh, too, who will join us shortly. But uh, why don't we start with the obvious top story, and that's uh, in, in Australian football anyway, and that is the Matildas crashing to a 5-0 away defeat to Canada. You've got the details, Rob. Tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. The Matildas, who say, suffered a 5-0 defeat in the first of two friendlies against Canada as Tony Gustafsson's decision to field an experimental side brought back memories of June's tw- June 2022 7-0 loss to Spain. Six of Gustafsson's starting 11 had earned 20 caps or less with only Claire Polkinghorne and Tamika Yallop, having seen considerable time at the World Cup. Michelle Prince's first half double set tone for the reigning Olympic gold medalist. The side meet again in Vancouver on Wednesday this week. So we record Monday night our time to booze in that game for Sarah Hunter and Charlize Rule. So, Edge, um, look, I'm just surprised that Tony Gustafsson made that choice, uh, especially after the the outstanding result against Canada in the World Cup and and pretty much um, threw, threw this young side to the walls. Yeah, look, he's uh, received a fair bit of criticism uh, leading the charge uh uh, on the commentary was Andy Harper. It was a big television audience too because it was uh, at prime time Saturday afternoon. But, yeah, look, um, the selection of Sarah Hunter and Charlie Rule and Alex Chidiak um, in the team when they, in, in particular Sarah and Alex, were brought in the, into the team at the last moment. Um, Sarah hadn't really been playing a lot uh, at her club and she did look out of sorts, didn't she, Rob? A couple of goals came through Sarah. So that's a very tough baptism, but... We had some similar results when he was looking for younger players in the previous iteration when he first started, and and he did you know find a couple of players. He defended himself uh, in the media over the last couple of days, um, saying that 
he felt that uh, Tegan Micah, A.B. Lewick, Courtney Nevin, Remy Seamson, Amy Sayer and Claire Wheeler had all been in camps and been a part of the program for quite a while, um, that he expected them to do better. Um, he wasn't making excuses for the result, uh, but he did say this was one of the only opportunities to experiment. I think Andy Harper made the point that the experiment was pretty extreme. Um, it wasn't um, uh, those young players were playing together rather than with more experienced heads. And, and I guess um, the experiment of playing Charlie Rule at centre-back was an interesting one, especially when we consider our conversation on last week's show is that Kayla Morrison is now on Australian and she's available. So I'd get her into that uh, camp as quickly as possible and just see what she can provide because um, nothing against the youngster Charlie Rule who has a great future ahead of her, but she's nowhere near Kayla Morrison in terms of um, quality as a defender. So, um, yeah, Tony Gustafsson, uh, he's got to expect some criticism after that sort of result. But um, as we record this, uh, the Matildas will get another opportunity to right the wrong, and you would expect that the frontliners will be rolled out for the second friendly, Rob. Yeah, no, it's Wednesday afternoon, our time. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this conversation plays out next week in light of that. And the top flight of the English competition, Manchester City, have dropped points for the third consecutive match, twice leading a lead stop in their three-all draw against Tottenham at the Etihad. Tempers flared on full-time as Dejan Kulosevsky's late header ensured Spurs a share of the points. City sliding to third after Liverpool's 4-3 win at Fulham. Another weekend fixtures, Newcastle compounded a horror weekend for Manchester United with a 1-0 win. Burnley threw off the shackles with a 5-0 defeat of Sheffield United. And, of course, the Arsenal remain on top after a 2-1 win over Wolves. Derek, um, it was pretty hard to, to pick the eyes out of uh, of that weekend of football. It was a, an absolute cracking uh, weekend. And, and even when they're not at their best, Arsenal still winning and uh, and other teams do, doing favours for them along the way by, you know, splitting points and, and losing. Yeah, another, another not, you know, hugely convincing result for Arsenal. I mean, they should have had it done uh, in the first half. But, you know, while the game was 2-0, Obviously, it allowed Wolves to find a way back into the game and a few jittery moments at the Emirates. But, you know, I think the Arsenal game would have been right down the order of matches on match of the day over the weekend in terms of they always lead with the best games and clearly three alls and, and four threes and some of the other five nils, some of the other the other ones that you mentioned. There was just another um, scintillating uh, round of fixtures. I'm looking forward to speaking to James Pierce about Liverpool. I think I've heard you calling them a dark horse, Rob. There's no way they are a dark horse. They are very much uh, in the title race. Maybe Villa's, Villa are a dark I, I, horse. I only use that term because mm. of, of the, the, the nature of the conversation. I mean, you know, in the strictest sense of the word, they're not a dark horse. I, I'm mm. well aware of that. But the point I'm making more so is that you know, Manchester City are coming off the back of a Champions League winning year. Um, Arsenal finished top and, and uh, all the talk has been mm. about can they go back to back? Spurs are doing amazing things and Villa. And uh, that, that's just the point that, that at the beginning of the season, nobody was talking about Liverpool as being a contender. That, that's that's what mm. I'm framing that description. Well, look, I'm asking. I'm looking forward to asking James what he thinks Klopp's done uh, in in terms of rebuilding the side, particularly the the uh, the midfield. But it was another absolute classic at Anfield, and Anfield has been the scene of some late goals in that in that cop end, and particularly Trent Alexander Arnold, the most divisive footballer in the Premier League. Probably a lot of people like to stick the boot in, but. 
he likes to stick the ball in the net and, and particularly from long range. So there, there was all four of those goals were absolute worldies in, in any context. And of course, yeah, the, uh, you know, Tottenham did take it to City uh, overnight. And, um, you know, I think they've just shown that there is vulnerability in that Man City team. And if you press them hard, uh, you can you can get something out of them. So old big uh, big Erling Haaland wasn't too impressed at the end with the refereeing decision. I, I can think of nothing I would like least than a, a tantruming Erling Haaland jumping up and down in front of me. I think the referee did well to uh, uh, to keep his cool and, and his trousers clean. Yeah, 100%. And um, and we're going to flesh out uh, um, a little more detail some of those games, uh, and in particular that game that you mentioned me. And Edge is going to talk about the uh, uh, the Liverpool match um, in stoppage time later in the week. So, uh, yeah, I've got um, some strong views on Erling's behaviour and his teammates as well. Now, in the A-League, Wellington have moved top of the table after Ben Old's first goal of the season consigned Western United to their fifth consecutive loss. We're going to talk to Jason Pine about that shortly. Meanwhile, Ufuk Tale's first win as Sydney boss took almost four hours to complete with the Sky Blues in Perth forced into a two-hour halftime break under lightning protocol. So I flicked around on the television. I'm thinking, what's going on? Why is this game um, being replayed? Uh, why is the first half being replayed? Um, and I'd just gone off for a cup of tea. Anyway, I found out pretty quickly. Ultimately, it was Sydney winning that game 3-2, much to Ufuk Tele's delight. And on Sunday, Bruno Fornaroli scored what will surely, well, one of the goals of his career, uh, a beautiful series of cutbacks. And then he absolutely cleared out the cobwebs in the top right-hand corner of the net victory and ultimately couldn't get the the, the, the three points uh, in the two-all draw against uh, Central Coast and Benjamin Mazzeo scored on debut for Melbourne City in their 2-0 win over Newcastle. Uh, now we'll flip back to Europe before we get into uh, soccerism, Matilda Central uh, and this is another story we're going to talk about in stoppage time but um, there were some interesting sound effects. I'm not sure everybody was aware that um, that a serial prankster uh, managed to, to lay a, 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 an unexpected um, sound bed underneath the announcement of the, the Euro competition of a couple enjoying, well, let's just say a, some private moments. So the, the draw was being announced for the Euros and uh, and there were sex sounds in the background that, that they couldn't work out where they were coming from and where they stopped. Anyway, um, it's, uh, it's a funny side story to the fact that Germany are going to face Scotland in Munich to kick off Euro 2024 in June 4th. June 24, the hosts also drawn in Group A with Hungary and Switzerland. Now, it could be argued that the most competitive group falls in Group B with former winners Spain and Italy to meet Croatia and Albania. 21 of the 24 nations have qualified with the remaining three sides to be determined in March. England with a relatively soft group, including Slovenia, Denmark and Serbia. So, Ed, you must be absolutely pumped. Will you be getting up to Europe uh, for the Euros? Um, you know, it would be a rare big event, big tournament that, that you're not at. No, no, I'll be watching that on the television, Rob, and uh, it will be pretty good, I can tell you. It well and truly will be pretty good. And what about you, Derek? Um, what, what do you make of uh, um, of the uh, the Euro draws, uh, particularly for the home nations uh, that have qualified? Well, I don't know, presumably the sex noises were to do with how red hot some of these uh, some of these groups were, uh, were in the end. Rob, someone can contain contain themselves. I know it was also on Match of the Day with uh, Gary Lineker as well. That was another time where they managed to do this. Uh, as a Scot, I love the look of the Scottish group. I feel like the opening tie against Germany, who we said last week, are not all that shape, all those all those shakes at the moment. And Hungary and Switzerland could have been a lot worse. Italy in a top three were definitely the team that 
most teams wanted to avoid that that would have added an extra um dynamic to your group and i agree with england i don't know how they do this but they seem to always get the most boring book group ever uh, at these tournaments and um with all due respect obviously uh to serbia and slovenia and denmark but yeah that's not quite wetting the appetite for me and you know is the banana skins there for england i don't, I don't know they're, they're a pretty good tournament team now gareth you knows how to get them out of these groups so i don't see um i don't see much in that one but like overall i think the groups are shaping up nicely Mm, yeah, look, really looking forward to that. We'll, over the next couple of weeks, we'll do, uh, we maybe even do a stoppage time special edition. Um, we'll go through through all the groups. Maybe perhaps in the new year might be the time to have a look at that. Now, Socceroos Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. You can join the Green and Gold Army in Qatar to support the Socceroos at the AFC Asian Cup. Packages are great value, including 14 nights, five-star accommodation, seven matches, all ground transport, four Epic events. I think Edge has been writing the copy here for these epic events, tourism and cultural activity, and much, much more. Don't delay now. Log on to ggrarmy.com to book today. Edge, um, how are the numbers looking so far? Yeah, it's going to be a small group, but it's going to be a fun group, and they are epic events, Rob. You've only got to look at our videos on our website to note the, how much fun the pre-match events are. Big shout-out to the Matildas, Rob. I know you're going to get into a bit of detail, but they won the Don Award, the mm. probably... Uh, the most uh, prestigious team award that an Australian organisation could uh, bestow on anyone. The Don Award from mm-hmm. the Sport Australia Hall of Fame is issued to the team that's inspired the nation the most throughout yeah. the course of the year. So well done, Matildas. Uh, unfortunately, the 5-0 shellacking from Canada sort of um, took away the luster of that announcement, but that's a significant announcement, Rob. Yeah, no, it sure is, and it was certainly the top of uh, of my list for the Matildas as they're on the international break. Now, uh, for the men, Jackson, who have scored an absolute cracker to open the scoring for St. Pauli in the Hamburg derby before his side were the beneficiary of one of the worst-owned goals you'll see. Unfortunately, from there, they let the lead slip away to draw two-all with Hamburg, but St. Pauli are still on top of the Bundesliga 2 and heading for promotion hopefully. Now, Maslowongo and Cam Burgess continued on their way with Ipswich Town. Another two wins this week to stay second in the championship. Must finish a lovely team move in the midweek win over Millwall. There was a fourth goal of the campaign for Arwen Mobile at Grasshoppers in Switzerland and a big win and a maiden goal for Geordie Bost at Westerlo in Belgium. Now, the J-League concluded over the weekend. We were covering it at various stages, but uh, Kevin Musk at Yokohama F. Marinos ended up finishing seven points off the pace in second place to Vissel Kobe. Thomas Deng put together his most consistent season in years, making 26 appearances for Albrecht's Nagata. Mitch Langrak played every minute of the season for Nagoya Grampus, 10 clean sheets from 34 games, and we're looking forward to seeing Mitch Duke and Mashida Zelvia in the top flight next season. Okay, gentlemen, we are going to wrap it up there. Well, Michael, you pop your hand up, um, as is yours. Is that your dog barking in the background? I don't think it, you've got it a dog. It is uh, my dog barking in the background. It hasn't seen me for a long well, is time. Is that what so you're putting your hand up? He wanted to say something, did he? Yeah, I just wanted to say something very quickly. No, it doesn't fit here, but we did miss it. And that is that the head coach of Western United, Mark Torcaso, has left the building along yes. with Helen Winterburn. Mm-hmm. And former Western Sydney Wanderers A-League women's coach, Kat Smith, has been appointed. That's mm-hmm. big enough news to uh, make a mention of it. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Torcaso said that he can't combine the two roles, the Philippine women's national team mm-hmm. with Western United. So he's exited stage left mm-hmm. and coming in from stage right, Kat Smith. 
Yeah, no, good story. He's done the job and uh, and, and goes with their good graces. We'll watch Mark Torcaso uh, in particular at the Philippines and see how uh, the uh, the new uh, regime at Western United goes after that um, brilliant first season. Okay, stick around. Jason Pine, next to talk about the Wellington Phoenix, top of the ladder, if you don't mind, and the new Auckland franchise joining the comp in 2025. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, we set off the top of the show with the announcement of the big hitting new owners for 2025 with the Auckland A-League franchise. The incumbent has picked exactly the right moment to flex their muscle with an unbeaten start to the A-League men's season under rookie coach Giancarlo Italiano and the man who watches the Phoenix more closely than, than just about anybody we know is our next guest from Sky Sports New Zealand, the New Zealand Herald amongst many other places. Jason Pine, how are you Jason? Yeah, great guys. Great to uh, get the chance to chat to you all again. It's um, been a pretty uh, busy old time football-wise on the side of the ditch. It sure has, but I think the last time we spoke to you was uh, was just at the beginning of the Women's World Cup when uh, uh, everything was just going off in both countries and, uh, you know, what a, an amazing event that was. But we're fortunate that uh, that things have uh, segued neatly into both the A-League men's and the women's competitions. Uh, we're getting uh, good crowds, uh, great games, um, new announcements. But one of the stories of the season so far is, without question, the man known as Chiefy, uh, Carlo Italiano, and, and what he's done. I mean, after Mark Rudan and Ufuk Tale making finals for three of the last four years, you know, there were plenty of people on this side of the ditch prepared to write the Knicks off. Um, that's not happening. There were plenty of people on this side of the ditch, Rob, who felt exactly the same way. I can tell you that. And, um, you know, as we all know, we're pretty parochial about our sports teams over here um, as you are over there. But, yeah, I think we probably looked at it through the same lens as a lot of Australian football pundits and, and fans and thought, well, Ufuk Tale has been a terrific coach for this team. He has allowed them to punch above their weight. He's he's made players better. Um, and his departure was was always going to be something that would be a bit of a um, uh, a question mark in terms of how chief he would go. He's never been a an A-League uh, head coach before. He's obviously been a pretty uh, competent number two to, to Uffi over the last couple of seasons. But um, and, and then you looked at the roster and you thought, well, they haven't really added anybody. Um, they've lost a couple of key players. Uh, Ollie Salen, goal, Clayton Lewis, Stephen Ugarkovic. Um, and really the only signings were academy players. So against that backdrop, I think we all thought the same thing. But here we are, six games into the new season. The team's unbeaten. They're um, they're defending probably better than they have in their entire history in terms of keeping clean sheets and, and getting the points that come with those. And all of a sudden, you, you start looking at the Wellington Phoenix and you say, well, actually, maybe top six might be a bit of a floor rather than a ceiling for them. And, uh, and, and how... How well might they do um, when we reach sort of April, May time? So, you know, in the more um, broad New Zealand sporting ecosystem, tell us how the team and their performances so far are being received. You know, obviously football was on a high watermark after the Women's World Cup. Uh, Are you starting to see penetration into areas of the media and the general public uh, watching and making comment on and, uh, you know, being um, uh, uh, proud, suddenly out of the woodwork Knicks fans? 
Yeah, I think everybody loves a successful team, don't they, Robin? And, you know, we saw it with the New Zealand Warriors in the NRL, the rugby league competition um, in, in 2023. And, you know, they, uh, like, contrary to some of the seasons they've had in recent times, went on a, um, went on a run as well and found themselves uh, in finals football and, and everybody jumped on that bandwagon. And I've often said that, you know, bandwagons are of, infinite size um everybody is welcome and and it's starting to happen with the knicks as well you know people are starting to take notice of this team and and as i say it's it's um it's it's not um unnatural when a team's doing well and winning games and and people this week have said what do you mean the phoenix are top of the league well the phoenix are top of the league the table doesn't lie you look at it and it's a nice um it's a nice little conversation starter to to bring people into the tent who perhaps have uh have lived outside it for most of the last 17 years or so. Yeah, exactly. And by prepping for, for our chat, I went back to, to one of your early season preview articles. Uh, uh, back in back in April, you, you wrote an article about um, Giancarlo Italiano when he was announced to to, to take over from Ufuk Tale. Um, and, and it's a great article, a real insight into the man himself. So, so for our listeners who are not quite familiar with the background of this former law student assistant coach to Ufuk Tale, journeyman mm-hmm. assistant coach and like absolute self-confessed nuffy analyst. Uh, tell us how, how you interpret him. Is that, is that a fair assessment? That's a great assessment. Yeah, great assessment. And I think the thing that probably jumps out at you straight away is that he's not a former player. You look around the league and and a lot of the teams are coached by by former players. And, and you go back to the last two Phoenix coaches who you mentioned, Ufuk Tele, former player, Mark Rudan, former player, Giancarlo Italiano, not a former player at all. Um, freely admits that he... He doesn't have the CV that um, that many of his predecessors and many of his contemporaries in the in the A League men's do have. You look across the league and you see the you know the Aloisi brothers and you see uh, Tony Popovich and and Uffie now of course at at Sydney FC and Carl Veerts at Adelaide and these are guys who have played at a at a really good level you know for club and for country in many instances. But what he he lacks in 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 playing experience, he absolutely makes up for in a deep knowledge and love of the game. And you can you can just tell. Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't profess that I know him well. Um, I got to know Wolfuk Tele a little bit over four years because we we sort of saw each other every week in a in a media sense and got to know one another. I guess a little bit. Uh, Chiefy, not quite the same. It's still been a, a pretty short uh, tenure for him by comparison, but. You can tell how much he cares about this team. You listen to his players talk about him and and it's obvious how much they're enjoying playing under him and implementing his style. He's very clear in what he wants from the team. He's um, placing a great deal of trust in them and and the results are coming. And, And it's a lot easier to implement a system to a bunch of players if they can see what you are trying to do. And then when they do it, they start getting results. Look, if they if the Phoenix had won one out of six, then there might be some question marks about Chiefy's um, ability to coach at this level. But he clearly has his ideas. The players are buying into it, and all of a sudden, um, you know, this team that was supposed to be in the bottom two um, is is up well up at the top of the league. Yeah, exactly. And I had the opportunity to watch them at Amy Park against Victory who are bouncing back themselves this season. Tony Popovich is finally getting a, a tune out of them. And uh, in that game, as you'll remember, Victory had 
18 shots on target. Wellington had none, but should have won the game. Um, I really loved the um, the, the quality uh, of Oscar Zawada uh, um, as uh, as as a, a proper striker um, in that side. Um, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, I mean, what a um, uh, what an acquisition he's been, and he's he was he was Uffie's signing. You know, he uh, it was inherited by by Giancarlo, but but a guy who. It took him a little while to get going. You guys might remember he didn't get a goal for five or six games last season. And, and you know, as with any import to the A-League, you start to wonder whether perhaps the um, the the video footage that was sent through was just a greatest hits rather than a uh, an indication of what a player is like week in, week out. But once he started to find the back of the net and the team started to work out how to best service him, he, he just became a, a terrific striker last season. What, 15, 16 goals? If you've got a player in your team who's getting those sorts of numbers, you're always in with a chance of picking up points, aren't you? Because they'll pop up with a goal here or there. They'll 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 find a way to get you on the score sheet if you need a goal to to get ahead of an opponent or or to stay in a game. And and the other thing about Oscar Zavada is he's totally bought into Wellington as well. I mean, he's a guy from Poland. Um, he's come here. He's um he, he's become a dad in Wellington. Um, he's very invested in the community. He loves his teammates, and um, and is still he's not I mean, he's not a 35 year old guy. He's I think 27 years old, so still a lot of good football years ahead of him. So yeah, he's been a real um, a real talisman for Wellington. Last year there was a lot of talk in the off season that he he may um, he may go that other clubs in Europe were interested in his services. Somehow Wellington held on to him, and um, yeah, he's. Uh, well, he's he's had a groin injury last couple of weeks, but it was pleasing to see that um, when he wasn't there, they still Wellington managed to to get a win over over Melbourne City, and then with him twenty minutes off the bench the other night, they beat Western United. So they're clearly not a one man team, but he is a big part of this team, the big pole. Piney, it's Michael Edgley. Um, last weekend's match against Western United, I thought Alex Paulson was unbelievable. He made a string of very fine saves, um, and. Uh, Giancarlo uh, said after the match that um, he felt like Paulson kept them in the game for a little while there when Western United were, had, a, had a string of shots on goal. Um, I think he's been excellent. You've only conceded, or the Phoenix have only conceded four goals all season. Uh, I know he's been in all white uh, camps before, but he must be being mentioned in dispatches for a starting lineup soon, you'd think. How good is he and how good could he be? Yeah, it's, uh, Michael, it's a great. A great uh, conversation topic over here. When um, when Ollie Sale left the football club or announced he was leaving at the back end of last year and then did depart, um, you know, there was a lot of thought around um, Wellington Phoenix fans um, that maybe the club might have to bring in a, a genuine number one because there was just a little bit of doubt about whether Alex Paulson was ready to step up and be the number one, number one. Well, he has dispelled all of those doubts in the first half dozen games of this season. A um, couple of penalty saves have have really caught the headlines. But, I mean, you're right, Michael. In, in general play, he's he's made a bunch of terrific saves. He was in the latest um, latest camp with the All-Whites, didn't get a game against Greece or Ireland. Um, but I think his, his opportunity will come at the Olympics next year. Um, as we know, it's an under-23 side with the exception of three overage players. Alex Paulson is still under-23, so he will be the number one goalkeeper for New Zealand at the Olympics in Paris next year. So that'll be his first introduction, I would imagine, into the international scene, albeit at an under-23 level. Um, how high is the ceiling? 
Well, goodness me. I mean, you don't want to pump up a, pump up a young kid's tyres too much after just half a dozen games as the first-choice goalkeeper. But everything he does is just so impressive from, from his shot-stopping, the way he commands his penalty area, and crucially, under Chiefy's system, the way he plays the ball out from the back and the confidence he has to, you know, to ask for the ball, to receive it, and then when he has it, to play those passes, um, you know, in the in the defensive third rather than just lumping it long and and um, and getting rid of it, as uh, as we used to say when I played. So um, yeah, look, uh, a lot to like about this kid, a lot to like, and um, yeah, his ceiling. Well, he could just about be anything. Still very young, but but what a talent. Let's change tack. Let's talk about uh, AKL Football 24, Auckland, the new franchise. Well, they've made a splash uh, today, haven't they? I mean, they have made an, a very astute uh, appointment. Terry McFlynn has been appointed the director of football. Um, for our listeners, Terry McFlynn, um, unbelievable captain of Sydney FC. He joined them in 2005. He amassed 214 appearances. He won two premierships and a championship. He was an incredible skipper, but then he went on to be general manager of football operations and um, was instrumental in building uh, the squad that was an epic um, uh, performer for Sydney FC. Uh, it's an excellent appointment. I know you've just spoken to him on your local radio program. Um, how has the news been received in New Zealand about this appointment? Yeah, with great positivity, I think. Um, everybody knows, or everybody with a with an eye on the A-League knows just what an influential player Terry was for, for Sydney FC, went in to become a um, a very important part of their backroom staff. And then, you know, they're a very similar role, a general manager of football, director of football, whatever it might be called. So, look, for, for Bill Foley, the owner of the, the new Auckland franchise, to have um, tempted Terry McFlynn um, across to New Zealand to head up the football department is a real... A real coup. Uh, you know, th- this is a team that has to build itself from scratch, that has has a, a blank sheet of paper, but doesn't have a heck of a lot of time. What are we now? Early December. Um, they've got to be ready to go when the new A-League season starts, what, next October. And um, and that's a that's a finish line. So they've got to get some um, some players together, a head coach. And, and I can tell you, Terry told me on the radio a short time ago that they are hoping to announce their head coach before Christmas. Um, there, um, there are discussions with some candidates at the moment, and he said we're already starting to look for players. Even though they haven't got their head coach ready uh, just yet, they've got a style of play that they're keen to implement. They want that coach to implement it, and they're already starting to look at players who might be able to fit into that system. So he certainly hit the ground running. Today is his first official day. Obviously, he's still not in New Zealand just yet, but um, but you know what a guy to have as a um, as a as a figurehead for the for the footballing department, and and now we await more announcements around a head coach, around some of the players that he manages to bring to the football club, and and um, yeah, it's an exciting time to to be in in Auckland and 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 watch this new team grow from nothing into into a team that could really be something. Piney, just for Australian listeners, why don't you just give us paint the picture for us? Where where will Auckland play? Do you think? Um, what sort of support will they engender? Uh, how can you see the rivalry with Wellington playing out? Just sort of paint the picture of what it means to New Zealand football and the two key markets. Well, venue-wise, it'll be Mount Smart Stadium. That's uh, where the Warriors play uh, their NRL. Uh, it's where the Wellington Phoenix um, played in Auckland um, just the other week. Uh, it's um, a ground with a capacity of around twenty to 25,000. 
um, and you know pretty accessible to Auckland um, and, and you know a good a rectangular stadium which is good compared to Wellington where we've got the oval and they can sometimes have the crowd a bit far away from the players so that's where they'll play their home games as far as a derby is concerned it's not a true derby is it in the true sense of the word that's two teams in the same city but I think we can probably call it a derby with um, two teams in the same country. Goodness me, we've been having a distance derby with Perth for the last 15 years. So I'm pretty sure we can have a, a New Zealand derby, Wellington against Auckland. The big, the big thing for this new franchise will be connecting with the community. And um, harking back to my conversation with Terry, he said that is one of their big priorities is to make sure that they're visible, that they they do whatever they can to connect, that they they gain support, that the players are out there meeting kids and, and families and, and football supporters, because this has been tried before. Let's not forget that in the very early no, stages of the A-League. the Auckland Kings. Yeah, exactly. And, and the Auckland Kings and the Knights, RIP. Um, you know, but, but it, it feels to me as though this is different. Um, we've talked about Terry McFlynn. Bill Foley is a man who has an incredible amount of success behind him. He, he, he brought an NHL franchise to Las Vegas, said, we're going to win the Stanley Cup in six years. Six years later, he's got the ring on his finger, a Stanley Cup winning ring. So he's not he's not going to um, muck about. Uh, and, and I think the appointment of Terry McFlynn shows that. So I think what will happen is that is that they'll keep on peppering us with announcements over the next uh, few weeks and months. Um, they'll start to build some excitement and... Look, I simply can't wait for um, for the first derby. Um, I, I for a while I thought maybe they should have had an opening weekend, but but I've rethought that a little bit and thought well, let's give the Auckland side, you know, say three or four weeks to get their, you know, to get their feet under the desk, as it were, in a footballing sense, and then hit us with a with a Wellington Phoenix, Auckland, whatever they end up being called, derby, um, probably in Auckland. And um, and start this this rivalry with a um, with a real humdinger. But yeah, to, that's a very long-winded way of saying it's an exciting time over here. Um, you know, for me, the the more pathways for young male and female players, the better, because the roster is going to have to be made up mainly of Kiwis. Um, yes, you can bring Australians over, of course, but um, it's going to be, I think, um, a team with a real Kiwi flavour, as Wellington is. So those pathways um, have just doubled basically for young male and female players to. Um, to have a crack on the uh, on the on the professional stage. Hey, Piney, it's always good to chat with you, mate. Um, we uh, ever since we started this show, we've we've just waited um, and hoped that New Zealand football would eventually uh, take its rightful place um, in in this competition as a genuine constant contender, and we've been seeing that over the last four years. Um, you mentioned the Warriors in the NRL. They they keep on flattering to deceive. They nearly get there. They make grand finals, but they never win one. Uh, but maybe uh, maybe it might be the Knicks this year that uh, that steal their thunder. And uh, um, and if they do, it'll be a huge story over there in New Zealand. Um, and uh, you know, as Edge was talking about uh, Auckland, uh, you know, Auckland two point zero or three point zero even um, yep. back back in the in the comp. So um, you know, it sounds like it's it's all pretty good news. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on again, mate. Yeah, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Love talking football uh, and, uh, yeah, exciting times, as I say, over here. So, um, yeah, look, happy to um, to pick up the phone at any time. Look forward to doing it again soon. No worries. Jason Pine, Sky Sports New Zealand, the New Zealand Herald. Uh, 
all good media routes in New Zealand, you will find Jason Pine on them. Okay, stick around after the break. We're going to cross over to Liverpool. We're going to talk to James Pearce from The Athletic. Uh, what a blockbuster weekend it was in the Premier League. And uh, sometimes you get lucky when you plan your guests. This time, we sure did. The Phoenix on top of the ladder, Liverpool in an absolute classic. That's next on Box to Box. <laughs> Hey, hey, Edge, you're back in Australia just for a little while, and I hear you went in and stocked up at Chemist Warehouse, just like you've been promising you would for ages. I did. I, I replenished my medical kit because it's, I'd been on the road for three and a half months, and obviously with my tour programs, a lot of people who are on my tours say, oh, by the way, do you have any Panadol? Do you have any Band-Aids? Do you have any this or that? So I have quite a big medical kit, obviously, um, and I stocked up and uh, did a, quite a bit of shopping. It was good. Prices Excellent. were great. Service was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I was in there today getting uh, uh, some medications, picking up a prescription. And look, you've got to be careful because when you sit there with that buzzer and you're waiting 10 minutes for that prescription and you're wandering around the store. What is uh, the price of Viagra these days, Rob? <laughs> yeah, good on edge. Uh, uh, fortunately, um, I'm not uh, in the market for Viagra right now, uh, which is good news. Uh, but moving right along, <laughs> if yeah, I was. I might, yeah, well it does apparently, it's uh, it's an outstanding blue pill for those who require it. Uh, uh, but if you are looking to require it at some point without getting too blue in this podcast, um, you might want to pick up the Chemist Warehouse Christmas Wrapped Up catalogue, which the current prices are available until the 10th of December. A whole range of new Ariana Grande fragrances from $79.99. Now, these are absolutely first class. So if you've got a young woman in your life um, and you're wanting to buy some fragrance, because we know we do have a lot of young listeners, get a hold of the Ariana Grande Cloud Pink. The Tommy Now Girl, that is an outstanding fragrance, $44.99 for 100 mils each. Um, Surely you've got... um, well, I guess the daughters would be listening to this podcast religiously, wouldn't they? So Yes, um, and they just spend a, quite a bit of money on my credit card at Chemist Warehouse uh, for all the various products they use, the, everything from spray tan to uh, fragrances and uh, being in the uh, art game that they are. We've been one being a singer, one being a dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like to get down to Chemist Warehouse and uh, give my credit card well and truly, uh, in the colloquial term, a shellacking rock. Yeah, absolute thrashing. Excellent, mate. Well, look, that is brilliant because, you know, when you do shop at Chemist Warehouse, you know there is one thing for absolute sure and certain that you will get the best prices every time you are at a Chemist Warehouse store. Shop online. Uh, there are all sorts of options for you. Fast delivery, same-day home delivery. T's and C's do apply. Charges may apply as well. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. Now, uh, we've been watching the Premier League season unfold with Manchester City trying to go back to back off the back of their Champions League winning season. Can Arsenal uh, do one better than they did last season? Of course, Ange Postacoglu in Australia is getting all the headlines for what he's doing at Spurs and Unai Emery just doing marvellous things at uh, at Villa. Meanwhile, Jurgen Klopp has been reshaping what was a generational top flight title winning squad and quietly placing the Reds firmly in the middle of the conversation for the title race. And a man who watches all their games and was there over the weekend as we saw an absolute 
cracker of a match against Fulham is James Pearce from The Athletic, and we welcome him back to the show. How are you, James? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, guys. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. And, and I'll start off with, with that game. Uh, uh, the, uh, th- there were times particularly late. I think I'd read somewhere, uh, I think you might have written it, I was, I was reading your, your copy uh, on, on, that, um, on that game uh, after the event, that it was the latest goal scored in, in, a, in a comeback win um, in the Premier League history at Anfield. Yeah, it was. It's the latest in the Premier League era. It's the latest Liverpool have ever fallen behind in a game and then still come back to win. Um, with yeah, Dicky Cordova Reed obviously scoring in the 80th minute, and um, yeah, it's another it's another special comeback for what's a pretty large collection over the years at Anfield. But I think yeah, the some, sometimes winning a game like that when you've been miles off your best and you've made lots of mistakes and you still find a way. I think. You know that can do more for you as a team than than steamrolling a team four or five nil because um, yeah the the atmosphere at Anfield at the end on Sunday was just was just phenomenal. It was when Trent Alexander Arnold took a touch and and hammered that winning goal past Burnt Leno. Um, yeah, absolute bedlam, um, and it's a big win, especially you know in the context of a weekend where you know Manchester City dropped points again. You know, Liverpool staying on Arsenal's coattails at the top, and it's it's an, it's another big big hurdle cleared for this kind of new look Jurgen Klopp team. And am I interpreting it correctly? I mean, as a Liverpool supporter myself, self declared, uh, um, I didn't get a sense that there was a lot of expectation that that Liverpool went into this season um, with anything other than a rebuild, do well in the Europa Cup, uh, finish in the Champions League positions, and you know top four, uh, you know, immerse uh, the, some of the more recent signings uh, into the, to the side um, and, and get that machine humming. But um, uh, it feels like they're, they're ahead of the schedule. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely surpassed expectations so far. I think, I think you know, a lot of the fans I spoke to on going back to, you know, early August when the season was about to start, it was, it felt like a bit of a step into the unknown, really, because there'd been so many changes at Liverpool over the summer, um, you know, it's very rare to lose your captain and your vice captain in the same transfer window. You know, very rare as well to have to effectively rebuild an entire department of the squad, which he, which he did do with the, the four midfield signings that he brought in. So I think, I think people did think that yeah, maybe this season might be a bit, a bit about transition and just you know getting back into that top four, re-establishing Liverpool as a Champions League club. But I think. Yeah, now when you reach this stage of the season um, and you see them right up there with it two points behind Arsenal, but you know you, you do start to dream of, of something a lot bigger. And I think um, yeah, you could still pick holes in some of the performances at the minute, and you know it's it's not a hundred percent convincing. But then when you look around the Premier League, there isn't really you know it's City aren't the same force they were. Arsenal have shown that you know that, that they've got weaknesses as well. So I think. It is all building up to be, you know, a really thrilling title race. James, were those the best collection of goals that's ever been scored at Anfield in your lifetime? <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm struggling to think of four better ones you could possibly see in the same game, really, because, um, yeah, I know the Killjoys have taken the first one off Trent Alexander Arnold because they've it, it it came back off the bar clip. Leno and, and and it's actually gone down as a Leno own goal, but then yeah, you think you know that was pretty spectacular, and then yeah, the uh, yeah the Endo one, what a moment for Wataru Endo 
to, you know, I think there was a lot of kind of people scratching their heads around me inside the stadium when Klopp brings on Wataru Endo with five minutes to go and they're 3-2 down and you think, you know, you don't really need another holding midfielder on the pitch. But then he, he pops up and scores his first Premier League goal in such spectacular fashion. And then, yeah, even even the fourth one from Trent is um, is so special with the touch and the arrowed finish in front of the cop. But yeah, the, I think the pick of the lot had to be Alexis McAllister's. You know, what a way for him to get off the mark as a as a Liverpool player because that, that first time strike from 25 yards um, was was just absolutely sensational. So yeah, it was it was just it was just a real strange game to make sense of because these moments of like awe inspiring quality from Liverpool mixed with some really really ordinary defending that um, that sh- that you know that gave Fulham so much encouragement before that that dramatic late flourish. Well, let's talk about Trent and that defence because in a way this game really encapsulates why he is probably the most divisive player in football, not just amongst uh, Liverpool fans, England fans and and the wider football public. I mean, I agree with you, the the free kick, he's very unlucky to not have that go to him. It was just a a wonderful trajectory uh, and a great strike. And and you mentioned his other goal, where the the touch was probably better than the finish in a way to set themselves up. But then also he was involved in a defensive performance that conceded three against a not particularly frightening Fulham side, and again, people might point uh, at him there as well. Is that is that fair? And is this just what you is this the give and take you've got to have with when you're going to play Trent Alexander Arnold at right back? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he is scrutinised like a few other players, I think, in terms of people, and so sometimes I think people do focus far too much on you know what they think he can't do rather than just appreciate him for, for what he is because he is a he's a phenomenal talent and I and I thought the actual the most interesting thing from Sunday's game was the fact that, you know, when when Liverpool were kind of huffing and puffing and not really looking like they were gonna make the breakthrough and it was two two for a long time in that second half, you know, the the tactical switch of Klopp was actually to bring on Joe Gomez at right back and just play Trent centre midfield, you know, permanently, not in this hybrid role we've seen from him, which, which which asks so much, where he's effectively, you know, the right back when Liverpool defend, he's the centre midfielder, the holding midfielder when they when they um when they're in possession. So and, and that it, it just helped because I think it just it it almost said to Trent, right, you know, forget forget about right back duties. You are now, you know, the the, the base of our midfield. You you we, we need you on the ball in central areas as much as possible to dictate play to use your range of passing and to drive this team forward and and he certainly did that. And I do yeah, I do think we're now kind of reaching that point where I think you know, that that for me is where his future is. I think I I think his days as a right back are, are pretty numbered really because I think we're seeing him develop and evolve so much as a footballer. Um, you know, why would you not want him in the centre of midfield permanently? It's you know, Gareth Southgate with England has been picking him there in recent months, you know, now now Klopp is increasingly using him there as well. Um, so so yeah, he's you know he's in a he's in such a special vein of form at the moment. You know, he was he was he was the one that that, that got Liverpool that hard-earned point at the Etihad a week earlier. Um, you know, he's he's just gone to the next level for me this season, Trent. I think it was a masterstroke giving him the vice captaincy um, in the summer. He's really embraced that extra responsibility, and he's 
he certainly played like a leader in that 4-3 win over Fulham. And we're coming up to Jurgen Klopp's favourite time of year now, aren't we? The Christmas period. He's, he's always uh, talking very positively about, about this time. And uh, in this period, I noticed that uh, Liverpool will play Arsenal. They'll play Manchester United, you know, regardless of where they find themselves in their evolution or devolution. There, uh, that That's a big game. And then Newcastle United at uh, uh, the start of the year too. I mean, that's going to be an absolutely critical period, isn't it? You come come through that with seven points on nine points, then Liverpool would be looking to kick on in the second half of the year. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we'll know. We'll certainly know by the turn of the year whether Liverpool are genuine title contenders or not. Because you know, yeah, December is such a crazy month in terms of the schedule. It's the it's the sheer volume of games. Um, as well, which I think is, is going to test every Premier League club in terms of the depth of their squad. And there's, you know, there's a few concerns on that front at Liverpool. They, you know, they lost lost Diogo Jota to a hamstring injury last week. They lost Allison Becker, the goalkeeper. And although they managed to dig themselves out of a hole on Sunday, you know, Quivin Kelleher didn't cover himself in glory standing in for Allison, and he's he's going to be needed for a, a fair few more games yet before Allison comes back and. And then Joel Matic went off with a knee injury yesterday. So that's, you know, you need, you need some good fortune as well. Um, but yeah, there are some big tests coming up. You know, you've got, as you said, you know, Manchester United and Arsenal both coming to Anfield, uh, before Christmas. Um, so, so yeah, Liverpool at the minute have got a, a fantastic platform to build on. And I think, I think what gives fans a lot of hope is, is that feeling of, you know they're in this great position without playing particularly well so far. You get the feeling that there's a lot more to come, um, but you you also feel as if they're probably going to need to go to that next level performance wise if if they're going to make sure that they are you know still right up there with Arsenal and Manchester City come the new year. And Klopp himself, there there were times during the most recent season where you know, there were conversations being had uh, as to whether you know he'd, he'd run his race at uh, at, uh, at Anfield. And uh, for the, those who watch Liverpool closely, he famously um, had a pop at you um, after uh, an away match at Wolves. Uh, um, I guess a two-part question. Do you, are you finding him a little bit more relaxed this season? And, um, and is it all water <laughs> under the bridge in terms of your relationship with the cafe? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, most definitely all water under the bridge. Yeah, yeah. He that was that was actually a bit of a case of uh, mistaken identity back in February at Molyneux because it was there was it was actually an article that had been printed in, an, in a completely different pu- online publication the day before that uh, that had riled him. Um, so, um, so yeah, I think I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time that day, and of course. As people remember, that was probably as low as Liverpool slumped last season. That three 0 defeat at Molyneux. So, um, so no, there's no, no, uh, no issues there. And I think, yeah, the biggest thing for me is Klopp looks looks like a man who's completely and utterly got his mojo back. I think he, um, I think, I think, I think he found last season, you know, probably as as tough as anyone because because you know there were periods, especially in that kind of February March time. When kind of everything he tried just didn't seem to to work, and Liverpool were starting games so slowly, they were so sluggish. You know, it was. You know, I think I think when you look back now, not just Klopp, but probably all the senior figures at the club misjudged what that crop of players had left in the tank after 
21, 22, when Liverpool had threatened to win everything. Um, the, the squad wasn't refreshed enough. That was that was the reality because there were so many times last season that Liverpool were outrun and outmuscled and outfought fought and it was yeah, it was it was bleak. Um, but but yeah, I think I, I don't I don't think there was ever a time where where it was seriously realistic that Klopp either would walk away or there'd be any pressure on him because he's he's absolutely adored and you know I think even when in bleak times most fans thought well Jurgen Klopp's still the best thing we've got going for us here you know he is the man to turn it around there was that faith he would do it um, but of course when you need to rebuild so much of the squad it's uh, it's still it's still a big ask to to put Liverpool straight back up there which is which makes this season all the more impressive because um, yeah McAllister and Zabozlai and Endo and Gravenberg you know that that quartet um have have really delivered so far and um and the other big thing with this Liverpool team is they've got you know they've got firepower on a level that I've just not seen from a Liverpool team before really in terms of the array of it I mean for for so long under Klopp they were so heavily reliant on Firmino Salamane you know that was the front three it was set in stone and if one of those was missing the quality level dropped off massively but you know now you've you've got that situation where you've got Diaz Nunes Salah you know Jota and Gagpo, um, he's able to mix it up, and you know it, that does mean that Liverpool have it in their locker to to score lots of goals and and, and win games, even even when they're not at their most fluent best performance wise. So before we let you go, a, a quick assessment of what you're seeing at the top end of the ladder: uh, 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 Manchester City uh, um, uh, starting to to genuinely wobble. Um, the uh, Recent results suggest they are. Are Arsenal the real thing? Um, are Spurs um, going to, to continue to be there or thereabouts? Uh, Unai Emery seems to be getting a, a, a serious tune out of Villa and even Newcastle. What, what uh, a third of the way into the season as we head into Christmas uh, and what looks like to be an absolute blockbuster between Liverpool and Arsenal. Um, what uh, What's your take on, on the, the top end and what you're forecasting for the new year? Yeah, I, I, I think what, what we've learned from what is it, fourteen games played already, that, um, that that nobody is going to run away with it this season. You know, I think um, you know, even even last season when Arsenal were up there for a long time, you kind of it, I don't know, it just felt almost inevitable that that City would relentlessly claw claw their way back and then and then you know ended up winning it with a, with a bit to spare. And I don't I don't think that's going to be the case this round this time around. And it is. You know, it's. I think it's quite refreshing as well that it's not just not just two clubs up there, but it is. You know, it's. You know, you have to. You have to kind of treat Aston Villa with a huge amount of respect. With you know what they what Unai Emery has has done there. I mean, remarkable job to, for them to be four points off the top. Um, you know, I, I, I question whether they'd have the the depth to really last the pace title wise, but they've certainly got the ability to take points off anyone in this league. Same with Tottenham. You know, Tottenham, I don't think anyone would have fancied them to have get, got anything at the Etihad at the weekend yet. You know, there they were. You know, they, they just, they, they don't they don't sit down. They, they keep coming at you and they got their reward with that late equaliser. Um, again, I don't think Tottenham are serious title contenders um, because I don't think they've got the depth. But, you know, again, you know, they're, they're, they are an impressive, an impressive side under Postacoglu and, and then you know the biggest change probably is the fact that there's these chinks in Manchester City's armour, and I think 
you know, of course, they've really missed De Bruyne with his injury. Um, it feels like they've not replaced Gundogan. I think he's a big loss since he left the club. Um, and they're conceding goals at quite an alarming rate, which is a very kind of strange thing we haven't really seen under Guardiola previously. Um, so, yeah, I think that does give Liverpool and Arsenal a huge amount of hope. Um, and Arsenal, you know, I think I think they were they seem to have changed this season in terms of probably a little bit less emotional and less bold and attacking, more controlling games, which probably gives them a better chance, I think, in terms of winning the overall prize. Um, yet, you know, you know, I, I do think you know they don't have firepower on anything like the level that Liverpool have. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really, really difficult one to call at the minute. But um, yeah, when you when you look at it, and what is it? Arsenal, Liverpool, City, separated by three points at the top. You know, I, I I think come the spring that will be still be the case. I think I think we've got a very very exciting three way title race. Yeah, that's one thing we can definitely predict. It's going to be an exciting uh, um, denouement for the uh, for the season uh, coming into the new year. James, thanks so much for joining us uh, from Liverpool. Uh, we uh, we really are very grateful for your time, mate. Um, we won't talk to you this side of Christmas, so uh, well, it's December. We'll wish you all the compliments of the season, mate, to you and your family, and uh, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you in the new year. Thanks, guys. Yeah, always a pleasure. Speak to you in the new year. James Pierce from The Athletic. Okay, stick around. It's been a year since Qatar, can you believe it? The World Cup 12 months ago. We'll have a chat about that next on Box to Box. Well, 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 everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. Oh, it's getting close to Christmas, and I'm doing all sorts of shopping, preparing. One of my favourite things to prepare for Christmas, uh, Derek, is a glazed... Do you like a glazed leg of ham for Christmas? I do, Rob. I, I, I didn't really have it, I must admit, when I lived in the UK because it was all about the roast turkey, but 10 years on, I'm now uh, all down with the ham over here. Do you make one yourself? We do, yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily get involved in the glazing, but I, I, mm. I eat it. It tastes good. Excellent. Well, I am, as it chuckles in the background, I am the family um, maestro of the ham, um, and it's a pretty you, simple Do you put process. cloves on the ham before you glaze it? See, that is exactly what you do. You've got to get the, the nice large leg ham, whatever size you need for the family. You've got to peel the skin back. It's a little process. If you don't know how to do it, get onto YouTube. But you need Hoyt's cloves. That is the number one flavour enhancer to the ham and really penetrates that meat. You've got to get some. I, I really love the Rose's English Marmalade and the Mail, M-A-I-L-L-E is the brand, the seeded mustard. So you get the skin off the ham crisscross in diamond shapes not too thick into the skin you don't want to penetrate into the meat the the fat and then stud the cloves into the center of each of the diamonds on the top of the hand and then you layer it with the mixture of orange marmalade the roses uh English marmalade and the the male seeded mustard and you add the glaze as you go and then you catch it in your tray with some water underneath. I deglaze the, the, the pan and make a sauce with that ham and I'm telling you it is the absolute superstar dish of Christmas Day in my household. I've taught it to give my younger brother Kieran, he, he's knocked off the recipe, he makes it every year and, uh, and it's all thanks to our good friends at Hoyt's. Delicious. Delicious. Sounds absolutely fantastic. I'm coming to your place. Excellent. So you get down to Coles, Woolworths and all independent supermarkets to buy all those ingredients, especially the Hoyt's gloves. Fill those empties with Hoyt's spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, and it's been a great show so far. And uh, Edge, um, can you believe that it is 12 months since the World Cup in Qatar? 12-month anniversary. Uh, where the Socceroos exceeded all expectations by progressing out of the group. Argentina went on to win in what uh, is probably, uh, well, the, the the best World Cup final um, ever played. Um, it was it was quite an amazing game, that one. Um, Edge, a year later, um, what are your reflections on that World Cup as you prepare for, for the, the Asian Cup? You're returning back to Qatar. Um, some of the most defining moments of that event for you? Oh, look, it was just absolutely fantastic. First of all, it was a, um, wonderful to have a World Cup with the Arab influence um, and the Middle Eastern influence into the entire event. Everybody who attended the World Cup enjoyed that aspect of it. But my memories are, if only Aziz had have squared the ball to uh, mm. McLaren, who was all by mm. himself, we, it would have been 2-2. And only if Matty Ryan hadn't have missed... Um, made that blunder with a back pass, um, the, re- the result of the entire World Cup might have been different. We were well and truly in that match against Argentina. It was an epic contest. I'll never forget the impact of the Argentinian fans at that game. And, um, yeah, it was just a, a lot of joy to be at the event and obviously to see Australia uh, arrive on the world stage um, under the leadership of Graham Arnold and, and um, do some wonderful stuff, great memories and my uh, messages that I've been receiving over the last week from guests and staff who uh, enjoy the experience in Qatar, just all saying, I can't believe it was 12 months ago. It does feel like it's much longer than that ago because it's such an energetic experience for everybody involved, a World Cup. But yeah, so many wonderful memories of uh, what it is. And there's a great, um, there's a great uh, uh, program that sort of delves into the, behind-the-scenes aspect of uh, what the Socceroos went through as well, which you can get online and uh, on Paramount. And, Derek, what about you, mate? Um, you know, questions without notice, but but uh, the, the highlights that, that, that stand out most in your memory? I was on the first tee uh, at a golf tournament uh, literally a, month, a year ago now when Harry Kane stepped, stepped up to take uh, his second penalty against France and... He uh, skied over just as I was about to hit a drive down the first hole at uh, RACV Hillsville there. So that that sticks out. Um, the late night uh, games with Australia going around to a, f- a friend of mine in Hillsville's house and staying up pretty late, putting quite a few different drinks and spirits away, watching, watching that game. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, I suppose we just remember that it was a very unique tournament. It was all the all the, all the, um, I suppose that the narrative leading up to it as well, and I suppose what will be really interesting for Edge when he goes back is to see the impact uh, a year on, whether it still feels like the impacts of the World Cup, the legacy is there, the stadia is there, because really we all had our opinion of it. But, but Edge, you were the, you were on the ground there, so um, you know, legacy is always spoken about with these tournaments, and I'm not being cynical. I'm genuine, genuinely interested to know whether you know, some of those stadia and some of the environments around that stadia, if there has been a, an impact there and, and the, the, there's been some net benefit to the Qatari people, for sure. 
Well, 100% because, um, you know, we all know that um, that Saudi Arabia is going to hold the World Cup in a little over a decade. And uh, um, and one of the, the hopes that we all have is that, you know, the, the, there's all of the, you know, the criticism that we've heard about sports washing and, you know, undue influence and, and uh, money, as it always has done, uh, being the, uh, the ultimate influencer in, in, in where the big events go to. But if we do see change, a real and lasting change, as we've said many times in Qatar, and it does flow through into Saudi Arabia um, in uh, in years to come, then hopefully that some some real um, genuine good comes out of it, Edge. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a big discussion point when you're ta- talking about legacy, because there's obviously the infrastructure legacy, which um, for Doha, it was a city building activity. They built, you know, uh, 10 stadiums of epic proportions and a, a, metro, a, a metro to sorry about that that's my woofer in the background but <laughs> what's his um, name her name is ellie ellie and she's a good dog but she's barking at the moment um having said all of that um but it was a was an incredible city transformation transformation as a result of this event metros uh, roadworks um and, and doha is a different place now um hmm. it, derek right i'll be Really interesting to see how it all flows when I get back to there. Seven of the ten stadiums that are being used at the Asian Cup are stadiums that have uh, been built for the World Cup. So that's a, mm. a good use for those stadiums. Okay. All right. World Cup corner 12 months on from the Qatar World Cup. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Uh, Derek, uh, thanks again, mate. We'll talk to you a little later in the week on stoppage time. No problem, Jen. See you soon. Michael. Thank you, Roberto. And Adam Maloney making sure the show comes together as uh, seamlessly as we can. And uh, Ellie the dog for making a special unannounced contribution in the background at Edge's Place. Now, if you have a moment, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your favourite shows and make sure you subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on X. Yes, it's X. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.